Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, October 29th, 2015. I'm looking at what we're going to be doing today, and uh, we're going to build off of the story of Joseph and listen to two more examples of bad preaching on that. And then hour number two, there's deceived, and (laughs) then there's delusional. We're going to cross the line into the new territory of delusional preaching on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, slow down, stop, open up your Bible and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there by the most popular pastors, Preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-proclaimed apostles and apostolettes. And what we want you to do is actually, listen, just because the evangelical industrial complex puts these people forward as people who we need to be listening to, you know, whose books we need to be buying, whose curriculum we should be studying instead of the Word of God in our small group Bible studies. Yeah, even though it has the Zondervan imprimatur on on the cover doesn't mean that what you're getting is actually biblical. Slow down. Actually take a look at what God's Word says in context, and that's what we help you learn how to do here. It's like there's a lot of deception going on, and we want you to be protected. And the idea here is is this. One of the things I've said over the years is that sound biblical doctrine is actually way more interesting and fascinating and really edifying than the the pablum that people are putting forward. You know, it's like, like, why are you talking like this? Because it doesn't make any sense. So you kind of get the idea. In fact, I was talking with a pastor friend of mine this morning, uh, Evan Gagline from Oregon. Yeah, he's uh, he, he's actually station manager for a small FM station in Oregon. I, I forget the uh, the call letters, but it's called the Bridge. And uh, Evan Gagline and I were talking, and you know, he was just absolutely just flummoxed, flummoxed about the fact that, uh, you know, that the, 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 the gospel is so difficult to find nowadays in so many churches. So many churches don't even preach the gospel anymore. And and I said, and you know, what's more baffling. It's not that there's false teachers out there, but what'll happen is, is that you get a false teacher in a room with can hold thousands of people. I mean, these large mega church arenas, you know, with a rock and roll smashatorium and stuff like that. Right. And, um, and so you got several thousand people all in the room with an open Bible app or, you know, who has an analog Bible anymore? I mean, I don't, I don't even use one of those anymore. Everything's on the iPad now for me, but, um, 
but you know they got an open bible they have we have access to logos bible software and all of the different commentaries that are available online and they <laughs> literally they're sitting the, the the person in front of them is just spewing nonsense it's not what god's word says or means at all and people are taking notes going whoa yeah wow and nobody's saying wait a second what is, what is this person saying? You, you can, you know, this doesn't make any sense. So you know, it's weird that you got thousands and thousands of people who call themselves Christians who all think that what they're being fed is sound doctrine, and all they got to do, literally. I mean, there's the verse that that person just ripped out of context, staring right in front of them on their iPhone screen, and there's like three, four verses of, in front of it and three, four verses behind it right there on their iPhone screen, and they're not even taking the time to like read it. You know, in context, it's just a bizarre world that we live in. Anyway, so let's talk about what we are going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to start with a narcissism uh, update, a narcissistic eisegesis update. Uh, Bill Cornelius of Church Unlimited, he'll be uh, leading off today uh, to kind of warm us up to the topic that we're going to be covering and uh, the idea here is is that we're going to hear Bill Cornelius and T.D. Jakes both take their best crack at, uh, uh, well, telling us what the story of Joseph is all about. And how much would you like to bet that Bill Cornelius has no clue the story is actually pointing us to Jesus and that T.D. Jakes, not only does he not have a clue, he doesn't even care that it points to Jesus because you can't whip people up into a frenzy if you start preaching about Jesus rather than preaching about them. You, you get what I'm saying. So uh, first half of the first hour, we're going to listen to Bill Cornelius, interesting Jesus. Second half of the first hour, T.D. Jakes, again, interesting Jesus woven into something that sounds like chronologically it's dubious. And then in hour number two, I, I kind of hinted at this at the opening of the program, there's deceived, you know, and deceiving... <laughs> And then there's this other territory, and that's like completely delusional. Now, I, I got to warn you, the, the sermon we're going to be listening to is by Amanda Wells, and um, she's going to be speaking at that uh, Australian Prophetic Summit next week. And, oh man, the, the name of the sermon we're going to be listening to is On Earth As It Is In Heaven, and I haven't listened to this in its entirety, so I'm only 19 minutes into it, and I can tell you this that uh, this is going to take a little bit of work. And the reason I say that is because she is totally disconnected from the truth. There are things that she is saying in the sermon that that are just, they're flat out lies. I mean, it's like, you, I can't believe anybody is listening to this and going, she's teaching me the truth about God's word. She's just flat out lying. I mean, it's beyond deception. It's into delusional. And so, uh, yeah, this, that'll round out today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Uh, you know, the drinking straws, you know, padded rooms, duct tape, you know, anything that you can use today to kind of protect yourself. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to increase in intensity is kind of the way I look at it. You know, they use that metaphor about how you boil a frog. You know, you put it into a pot of warm water and then you slowly turn the heat up on it. You know, it thinks it's in a jacuzzi. Next thing you know, it's... It's uh well it's chicken wings. Well, you know, they they do say that frog legs take like taste like chicken. So, you know, I can't imagine putting the buffalo wild wings sauce on them, but you, you get the point. So this this <laughs> like the boiling frog episode of fighting for the faith. By the end of it your your mind could melt and just drip out of your nose. I don't know, but you know, take 
proper precautions because it's it, it's not going to start off in the crazy world, but it's going to build up to it. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, and let's get to it. And since we're going to start with a narcissistic Jesus update, that requires us to do this. You know that it's all about me. It's all about me. That's right. It's all about me. And that's what Bill Cornelius is going to do with the story of Joseph. In fact, ironically, so so will uh, T.D. Jakes when we get to him in the second half of this first hour. But Bill Cornelius is the uh, the vision casting leader of Church Unlimited. I think they're down in Corpus Christi, Texas. And the sermon that we will be listening to. um, Yeah. How do I explain this? Um, Well, it's entitled Principles of a Successful Plan. Mm hmm. Going the yeah, and it's about the story of Joseph. That's right. Did you know that the story of Joseph is all about you gleaning principles so that you can work, you know, your plan in your life to make your life, you know, uh, successful. Right. Yeah. And uh, if you, by the way, if you haven't already listened to last week's episode of Fighting for the Faith, where I cover the story of Joseph, it's the episode uh, to the uh, students of Liberty University. That's the name of it. Please take a moment to actually listen to the first hour if you haven't already done so, because you're going to need that as a reference point, because what you're going to hear is like so far astride from a proper way of understanding uh, the story of Joseph that it is just bizarre. And you're going to notice then (laughs) between Brian Houston, Bill Cornelius, and then T.D. Jakes, they've all got completely different takes on the same passage. And none of them have anything to do with Jesus. So the question is, well, who's right? Who's it really about? Is it about Jesus? Yeah, it is. Because all scripture is about Jesus. But here's uh, Bill Cornelius from his sermon entitled, The Principles of a Successful Plan. Here we go. Welcome. Great to have you here today. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate you being here. And let's say hello real quick to all of our campuses, including our God Behind Bars guys. Give it up for those guys. Yeah, so they're they're piping heresy into prisons now. Oh, that won't help the what is it called recidivism? You know, right? Yeah, this oh no, they'll just go from like you know blue collar crime to a white collar. Thanks for being a part of our services today. So we're continuing in our series called "Stop Talking and Start Doing" because God's put a dream in everyone, and God gave. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. It's it's no longer called, you know, the purpose-driven life. It's the dream destiny thingy doctrine. So Bill Cornelius, uh, one of the purveyors of the dream destiny thingy doctrine. Yeah, stop talking and start doing because God has put a dream destiny in your life, in your heart. Joseph a dream just like he's given you a dream and he wants to help you fulfill that dream. And maybe you... Yeah, I got to back this up because uh, that was just perfectly awful. I want you to hear it in context. Listen again. Because God's put a dream in everyone. And God gave Joseph a dream just like he's given you a dream and he wants to help you fulfill that dream. And maybe So the reason why the, the story of Joseph is written is because, well, God has placed a dream inside of everyone's heart. 
And just like Joseph, you too have a dream and God wants you to fulfill it. Isn't that great? Yeah, but it's not what the story is about. Maybe you're new here or, or maybe you haven't been here in a while. Let me catch up on the story just real quick if I can. So Joseph, as a young, as a young teenager actually, has a dream and he dreams that one day he will be a leader and his brothers will bow to him. He shares this with his brothers. Obviously, that's not going to go over well. His brothers already hated him because he was a favorite kid. They concocted a plan to beat him up, steal his jacket, rip it up, tell dad that he died, that an animal ate him, right? And then, and then they sold him into slavery. So he ends up in going to Egypt. Now he's a slave in Potiphar's home. He learns of this, his skills he didn't even know he had. Sometimes hard times teaches us things about ourselves we didn't know. And so he begins to develop those skills there. He then gets falsely accused of rape and he's thrown into prison. And then in prison, he stays faithful to God, even though he did not do anything wrong. He still stays faithful to God even when things don't go well in his life. And then he is forgotten about for a while. Then he gets called up to the big leagues when the king has a dream, does not know how to interpret it. And he hears that there's a guy in his prison who knows how to interpret dreams. Now he interprets the king's dream. I'm doing a massive summary here. He interprets the king's dream and says... What it means. So notice he's not actually reading the biblical text for us, but you know this is a fascinating, at least, attempt at a summary of the story of Joseph. And the reason I say that is because you know it, this is all about well, Joseph, you know, he had a dream for his life. You have a dream for your life too that God's placed in your heart. And so you know, all you have to do is if you really want to see what it looks like to you know have your dream fulfilled, all you got to do is look at the story of Joseph. That's why God put the story of Joseph right there in the Bible so that you can fulfill your dream destiny thingy. And the problem is is that the assumption is like straight up false. It's wrong. This is not why God put the story of Joseph in the Bible at all. This king is that seven years uh, you're going to have plenty. You're going to have a prosperous seven year economy. Then at the seventh, at the eighth year, it's going to go way, way down. You're going to have famine for the next seven. So I recommend you put a savings plan in place, tighten the belt, so that when the seven years of famine hit, you will be succeeding where everyone else is falling apart. You guys will be able to survive as a nation. And so that's where he puts his plans. Now let's pick up back in the story if we can from there, because this is where Joseph now steps into the role that God birthed him for. And remember this. (laughs) Into the role that God birthed him for, just like you. I mean, what's the role that God has birthed you for? Sounds painful reason we did this entire series is so you begin to step into the role that God birthed you for. Because God has given you something. Right, because it's all about me. He wants you to do something. He wants you to become, to have, to go. God has something big for you too. So We don't know what it is, but it's big. I mean, see, you're, you're so important. Whatever it is that God would have you do, it's not small. I mean, it's, you're probably going to cure um, cancer. I mean, yeah, you. And you're thinking, well, how many yous am I talking to? Yeah, all thousands, you know, tens of thousands of you listening. Yeah, all of you are. You're, you're so important. You're gonna. You're you're all gonna be the next president of the United States, or yeah, or Australia, or you know, prime minister of New Zealand, or something like that. Yeah, that's how important you are. I mean, ooh, yeah. Think about the dream destiny thingy. God, you see, you're super de duper important. Today we're talking about four simple principles of a successful plan. Before we do that, let's all say our mission statement together. Here's who we are as a church. Our mi- you, you, you know, let's say our mission statement together. I <laughs> when I worked in the corporate world, we didn't even do that. Mission is to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die. Period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. And so thanks again for joining us. Pull out your notes. Can I ask the obvious question? Uh, you, the, we want to take the greatest number of people to heaven with us. Wouldn't that require you to actually preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins? 
in Jesus' name rather than preaching the dream destiny thingy doctrine. Because nobody goes to heaven if they fulfill their dream destiny thingy that God placed on their heart. Yeah, that's right. When you stand before Jesus, the judge of the universe, he, the question he's going to ask you has nothing to do with, all right, well, this is it. This is the challenge question. Did you fulfill your dream destiny thingy? And if you go, well, I, I well, no, I didn't. I know you wanted me to, you know, to cure cancer, but um, no, I, I, I didn't. Well, that's it. You're, you're going to go to the lake of fire because you did not cure cancer because I made you to do that and you didn't do it. And so you, you can't be saved. You're going to go, you're going to go to hell because you didn't fulfill your dream destiny. No, no one's judged by that, by the way. It's faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Yeah, justification by grace through faith. So this is weird. He wants to take all these people to heaven, and yet he's preaching this theology. You don't take people to heaven with you if you preach this theology. You send them to hell. If you would, let's, if you've got your Bibles, you can open with me to Genesis chapter 41. I realize now your Bible probably means your, your iPhone. That's okay. Pull it out. Genesis 41, uh, starting in verse 37. Let's pick up in the story. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Now, before I go any further, let me just tell you about that. Let's talk about that real quick. This is a non-God-fearing man, Pharaoh. Pharaoh not only didn't believe in God, he thought he was a god, okay? And so they, they probably worshipped the sun god in Egypt. They also worshipped a god that they thought cows were gods. I mean, you talk about a jacked-up religion. Don't get me wrong here in America. We worship cows, too. We just eat them. That's how we do it, right? <laughs> But the point is, is that they worshiped everything but the one true God, right? And so when he says, you know, Joseph, you are, you have the spirit of God on you. Let me, let me say how, because when we hear that as Christians, we hear like, oh, he was a godly man. They're saying, yeah, you, you got God in your life. And it's really cool. That's not how he said it. He said something like this. You have the spirit of the God in you. That's what he would be saying in him. Cause it wasn't a personal God. in him. He didn't know God. So he was saying like, you have the spirit of the unicorn in you. That'd be like what he'd be saying, right? Just something like random that I know nothing of, that doesn't make sense to me, that that's your thing, not my thing. But he says, I can sense that the spirit of this God you're talking about is in your life. Do you have any idea how powerful witness that is? He's like, I can see God in you. I don't even believe in God, but I can see him in you and the way you live your life in the way you're talking to me, in the way you're handling your business. And so this is very important because a lot of times we... Seamless transition from Joseph to us. Did you see that? I mean, that was like narcissism at the speed of a blink. You know, I I can see you have the Spirit of God in you because of how you conduct your business. Uh, what? So notice, I mean, Joseph, his life is an allegory about you. you. See, Joseph is the type and shadow of you. You're the substance of, of the Bible, not Jesus. You are. So, so notice how seamlessly he just switches from Joseph right to you. I mean, without even any segue at all. It's like interchangeable. You are Joseph because Joseph was pointing to you. You make it a goal like, I want to be a godly man, a godly woman. Great goal. But we think godly man and godly woman means you don't do certain things, which that's important, right? There's certain things that certainly we take off the list of options and we're no longer going to go to these kind of places and do these kind of things and, you know, whatever, right? So that's part of it. But part of being a witness is not just 
more God speak, not just more Christianese where you use a lot of phrases like praise the Lord and isn't God good today. That's where was the, where was Joseph using Christianese? Was that in prison or when he was in the house of Potiphar? I'm a little confused because it's not in the text. There's nothing wrong with those kind of phrases, but frankly, that actually can annoy people right. that aren't believers. Did you know that? I hate to break it to you, but... Yeah, so the story of Joseph is to teach you how to not use Christianese in a way that would annoy people. Yeah. Too much God speak can actually frustrate people. I'm not trying to say not to be open about your faith. I think we should be open about our faith, but don't be obnoxious about your faith. Do you understand the difference? Yeah, but I don't understand how you're getting this from this text. Right? But this is important. How was he a witness? I'm sure he was a verbal witness. We know in the scripture here he actually said, well, I can't interpret your dream, but my God can. So he gave God credit before he did his thing, right? And so that's important. But the best witness of all is when you're really, really good at something while you honor God. Uh, so... <laughs> The way that Pharaoh knew that Joseph really was all about God was because of what exactly? Because of what a great job he did of slopping, you know, you know, you know, basically fecal matter buckets while he was working in the prison. I mean, he did it with excellence. I mean, that, that Joseph, that kid, that really, that kid can really haul a, a urine bucket like nobody else. Yeah, he did it with excellence. That is the best witness you can ever be. It's great that you're a salesperson, but why don't you be top salesperson? It's great that you're on the team. Why don't you be the best on the team? In other words, if you excel at what you do, it's an incredible witness. I'm not trying to say don't be verbal. Don't, don't get me wrong. When I, when I was talking earlier, I'm not trying. Now, let's unpack that for a second. Listen and consider the implications of what it is that he's saying. You really want to be an effective witness for Jesus? Well, the way you do that is you become the top salesperson of the year. That's how you become an effective witness for Jesus. You want to know how you can be an effective witness for Jesus? It's really simple. You need to be the employee of the month every month at McDonald's. You know, that's how you do it. And then everyone will say, how are you doing? And, and when you sit there, after they marvel about all of your excellence, then you can say, yeah, man, Jesus is what makes me successful. Right. And they'll go, whoa, yeah, I got to get me some of that Jesus so I can be successful too, right? Well, what if there's two Christians working at work? You know, do they take turns being the employee of the month? You know, can you be an effective witness for Jesus if you're not the employee of the month? The answer is, yeah, you can. And and it has nothing to do with, I'm not saying, well, just go ahead and just shoot for mediocrity. That's not exactly what I'm saying at all. But the gist of it is this, is that the Christian message, the good news that we have to proclaim, is not the message of... Jesus is going to help you achieve your dream destiny thingy. You know, what you know, you you want to be a singer on Broadway? Well, you know, Jesus is going to help you be the best singer on Broadway. And uh, you, you want to be the president of the United States? Jesus is going to teach you how to really rise to the top and become the president of the United States. That that's not the gospel. Instead, let me tell you what the gospel is and you kind of see the difference, right? Gospel is basically recorded for us in a nutshell. If you want to know what the gospel is in a nutshell, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes, starting at verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the good news that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless, of course, you believed in vain. 
And then Paul says this, For I delivered as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and the Twelve, and he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and all the other apostles, and last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So what's the gospel? The good news that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Now, here's the question I have for you. Are you capable of telling sinners of the forgiveness of sins prior to becoming the employee of the month? Or do you need to wait until you've won salesperson of the year before you have the right to tell people, about the fact that Christ has bled and died for their sins, and that you are one of those sinners, one of those ungodly people whom Christ has bled and died for, and call them to repent and to be forgiven because of what Christ has done for them on the cross. Well, the answer is, is that any sinner who is forgiven can preach the good news that Christ died for our sins. But listen to what Bill Cornelius is literally saying. He is literally saying that, yeah, you're probably not even going to have the right to you know, tell people about Jesus until you've be, you've risen to the top and you're the cream of the crop at your work and your, your vocation or whatever. And the, the thing I would point out is is that not everybody works in an environment like that. I mean, yeah, there's some environments that you can work in in the you know Fortune 500 companies and you know other companies and stuff like that where there's competition among the employees, but not everybody has a vocation of that of that type. And so the question is, do I really have to wait to tell people about Jesus until I have become basically <laughs> climbed on everybody else's back and stabbed them and stuff like that so that I can rise to the top and be a, the salesperson of the year kind of thing, right? And, then, you know, are, can you imagine the frustration this would create? I mean, there's some, so there's some lady, you know, she's, she's an up-and-coming salesperson, and she, you know, she's out, oh, I can't wait to be able to tell people about Jesus at my work. <sighs> but I didn't win salesperson of the year. So who's going to listen to me? <laughs> Are you a forgiven sinner? The, the, the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. So you'll notice here now that the dream destiny thingy doctrine and reading yourself into the story of Joseph not only causes you to miss the whole point, of the text because the text is a beeline straight to Jesus. It, you know, it, Joseph in type and shadow really, you know, gives us a dress rehearsal for the life, suffering, the incarnation, humiliation, and exaltation of Christ. All right. But when you think it's all about you and now you're looking for principles, you know, so that you can have a successful life and achieve your dream destiny thingy, right? Now all of a sudden it's taking on implications where I can't even preach the gospel to anybody. Until I've become the salesperson of the year, because who's going to take me seriously if I'm not, you know, the absolute best of the best of the best of the best in whatever it is that I'm doing? This, this wow, we we got a big problem here. I'm going to back this up just a little bit, and then we'll keep moving forward. Here, here's uh, Bill Cornelius again making this point. Best witness of all is when you're really, really good at something while you honor God. That is the best witness you can ever be. It's great that you're a salesperson, but why don't you be top salesperson? It's great that you're on the team. Why don't you be the best on the team? In other words, if you excel at what you do, it's an incredible witness. I'm not trying to say don't be verbal. 
Don't, don't get me wrong. When I, when I was talking earlier, I'm not trying to say we shouldn't be verbal about our faith. That's a good thing. We should not be ashamed about our faith, even to speak about it openly. What I'm trying to say is, do you realize that if you are losing in life and talking about how great the Lord is, you're not really being a, a banner ambassador for Christ? Yeah, so are you losing in life or are you just a stay-at-home mom? I mean, do you wake up in the morning and, you know, stay in your bathrobe until noon while your kids are, you know, pulling you, you making you want to pull your hair out? Yeah, well, you know, you'll never be able to tell anyone about Jesus until you get yourself together and learn how to put your makeup on and look impeccable before six in the morning, you know, so that when your children rise, they sing your praises. Then all the women in the neighborhood are going to say, Paul, please tell me what is your secret? And you'll say, my secret is Jesus. But you're not going to preach the gospel when you do that. This is weird. This is, this is just demeaningly demented and wrong. Let's just be honest. When you begin to win in life and things are going well, that gives you a platform for people to listen to you and then when you talk about... The- yeah, see, if you're losing in life, no one's going to want to hear anything about Jesus from you. you you've got to become a celebrity. You've got to become a star. What are you waiting for? I mean, you really want to be effective for Jesus? You better... Yeah, you got to you have, have a platinum-selling record, or you need to win an Academy Award. No one's going to want to listen to you until then. Lord, they take it more serious. And so here's a king that's impressed by Joseph. Why? First of all, because he interpreted his dream correctly. And he said, by the way you live your life, the way you're talking to me, the way you're presenting yourself, the way you handle yourself. Basically, he was saying, I thought you were a prisoner. Who is this slave slash prisoner? You don't, you don't act like that at all. You're way sharper than I thought. We should be surprising people at how good we're doing at something. Uh, yeah, you, you are aware, Bill, that um, Joseph actually miraculously interpreted a prophetic dream that God had given to um, Pharaoh. And the thing he was impressed with was that he was able to interpret the dream. And the reason he was able to interpret the dream is because God gave him a miraculous ability to interpret the dream. It's not like Pharaoh was saying, hey, let me look at your employment records while you're working at the prison. Oh, wow. Look at this. Yep. Model prison prisoner of the year. Did you know that Joseph won Prisoner of the Year for 12 years in a row? Man, this guy, he should be Pharaoh. He he really should. I mean, anybody who's won Prisoner of the Year for 12 years in a row deserves to really be second in command of all of Egypt. Talk about missing the point. Does that make sense? No. So that was how he was a great witness. No, it's not. You just read that into the text. It's not even in there. People aren't asking whether Christianity is real. They're not even asking questions. That's not even on the radar. So, so people aren't asking whether or not Christianity is What are they asking, Bill? Please share. What people are asking, they're not asking whether God's real. They're asking, does God work? <laughs> wow. Um, okay, so does God work? Yeah, you know, I don't really care whether Christianity is true or not. Yeah, I mean... What I'm looking for, I, I need a god, you know, kind of like the Greco-Roman deities. You know, those gods were, they were awesome. They really worked for people, you know. You had a love problem, you, you'd go to, you know, Aphrodite, man, you know, and, and she'd like, you know, hook you up. And you'd have major romance going on in your life. I mean, you, you know, you, 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 you know, make a offering to Apollo and, you know, whoa, you know, your whole life could change and business would really go well. We want those deities that work for us. And so we want Jesus to be just like, you know, Aphrodite and Apollo and Zeus and, you know, Athena. And, you know, you just, you know, you, you, you pay your part and then they do their part to make your life work. 
this guy's not preaching the gospel. I don't know what this is. This is like a pagan view of God. So, okay, so let me see if I have this right. So people don't even care if Christianity is true. No. <laughs> Does it work? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, on the last day, you know, when the, um, you know, when Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead, do you think it's really going to matter that you were employee of the year for 10 years in a row? Or is it going to matter whether or not you're in Christ? And Jesus says to you, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome, you know, come into your rest. As to the, you know, the other folks, he says, away to hell with you. You, you think Christianity works on that day? You know, what's it working? You, you see what I'm saying here? Does he work? Like, does it work for you? If it's working, I'm interested. People are very practical, right? They're like, does he work? Is, is this whole God thing you're doing, is it working for you? How's it helping your marriage? Is it helping your career? Are you doing better in life because of God in your life? If not, why do I want him? You, you have heard of the forgiveness of sins, right? Why would I want God? Well, because you're going to hell. That's why you want God. You know, because you you have utterly sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you stand before God on the day of judgment, not covered in the righteousness of Christ, you're hosed. I mean, seriously. I mean, wow. What, I mean, what do you call this? So that's what the king was impressed with about Joseph. He said, yeah, no, 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 he wasn't. And the text doesn't say that. I think you get the point. I think I'm pretty convinced at this point, and I hope you are too, that Bill Cornelius has no concept of what biblical Christianity is, has no idea whatsoever that the story of Joseph points us to Jesus, and he really thinks that Christianity is all about, well, you know, what God gives you in the here and the now. Does it work for you? Did it work for Lazarus, you know, that sick guy who had all the sores and was poor and put outside the uh, home of the uh, rich man to beg every day? Did, did did Jesus help him on, you know, you know, did it work for him? He died a beggar. Oh, but he went to heaven. Yeah, that's right. I guess Jesus does work. Oh, man, this is frustrating. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we'll hear T.D. Jakes' take on the story of Joseph. It's not going to get any better. It's just going to get worse. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Thank you. 
Okay then, uh, Mr. Haas. The results of the test have come back. What are they, Doc? Uh, not good. That's what. What do you mean? What's wrong with me? Where do you want me to start? I is that all mine? That and the seven other stacks of paperwork just like it. Oh, dear. Oh, dear indeed. I guess we can start off with the good news. Okay. You don't have cancer. Oh, thank God. Funny that you'd say that. Why? Now, don't get ahead of yourself. As I said before, you don't have cancer. And that's about it for the good news. Huh? Moving on. This here is an x-ray of your esophagus and your stomach. Wait! What are those? Please, try to stay calm while I explain the prognosis. What? For the sake of contrast, I've included the same type of x-ray from a healthy patient. Oh, no. Oh, no, indeed. Now, I've seen my fair share of cases like these, but nothing is ever compared to what you've got going on. Uh, are those... Yes, those are pentagrams emblazoned on the unprotected skin of your esophagus. Is that the reason For that... your heartburn? Oh, no. Not even close. If you look closely, we've identified this black lump in your stomach as brimstone. That is the cause of your heartburn. And no, Nexium won't fix it. How can this be happening to me? Well, to put it simply... You've contracted a religiously transmitted disease. But how? Well, there are many ways. One of the more common ways is to preach heresy and to openly accept the teaching of the devil and his ways. But, 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 but... Oh, trust me, this is only the tip of the iceberg. Do you know how much sulfur we found in your colon? You found what in my what? Sulfur. You see, it's normal to find in some of the victims of possession. But you were something extraordinary. We found three whole pounds of it in there. Three pounds? Don't even get me started on the pH of your blood, though. Hoo-wee! That was some nasty stuff. Melted right through our equipment when one vial exploded in the centrifuge. Yes, sir. You've got yourself a really nasty religiously transmitted disease. What am I gonna do? For starters, I would stop spewing those lies you pass off as sermons down at your church. That should start to alleviate some of the burning sensations. I on that note, I would suggest some good old-fashioned expository teaching because the only thing that's going to fight off this disease is the Word of God. I can't believe what I'm hearing! That's obvious. You certainly won't be able to unless the Father himself draws you. There's got to be an easier way! i got to ask you, have you considered baptism? What's that got to do with anything? Oh, I don't know. Circumcision of the heart not done by human hands for the forgiveness of your sins... Ring any bells? You're not being helpful! Well, if you don't want to do any of that, I guess all I can do is fill out your prescriptions. Here you go. What? What's a three-month supply of vision lack supposed to do? Oh, trust me. You're gonna need it. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program 
and the program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that uh, preaching that makes uh, Bible passages about you will actually put you in bondage rather than set you free. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. That's right, it's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you will see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. Let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it, and we are very close, folks. Really, 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 really close to launching our new website. It should be up, I would say, within the next 24 to 48 hours. That's kind of what I'm thinking. It should be propagated throughout the Internet by sometime on Reformation Day. Yeah, That would be Saturday. That's, that's what we're hunting and searching for and, and hoping for. So just want to let you all know that. Keep your eyes peeled and, and open. And when once we get the new website up, we're going to talk about the, uh, the new way in which we uh, – We'll offer people to help support us via our crew membership, but we'll wait until the new website comes out with that. All right, since we're going to be doing a money-grubbing televangelist update next, that requires us to do this. Don't want no loving. Don't want no kissing. Don't want no gal to call me honey. Don't want my name in the Hall of Fame. 
just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce, hear me holler. Give me buckets full of ducats, let me walk around and waller in Mazuma. All the narrow wanna be a millionaire. Give me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition, that's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits, I'm a demon in addition. Give me shekels, give me pesos, let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. Get me a suit that's made out of oof and whistle for wearing green. I got that monetary itis like speeches like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. And there's some I can and beagle. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. Yeah, that's right. That's Dr. Teeth and money, money, money. Now, talk about the king of the money-grubbing televangelists. That would be, well, T.D. Jakes. And uh, we're going to be listening to a portion of his message entitled Secret Agents of Change. Yeah, yeah I got to tell you, you are so important. Did you know how important you are? You probably don't even realize just how important you really are. Well, <laughs> Don't worry, T.D. Jakes is going to let you know by narcissizing the uh, pa- the story of uh, Joseph and then kind of bleeding it into the story of the Pharaoh of the Exodus. Yeah, I know, it, it, it's like he obscures the chronology there, but here's T.D. Jakes to explain. Here we go. Just in a way of review of understanding that God had manipulated Joseph's entire life to put him in a position so that when his siblings and his father faced famine, Joseph would be strategically placed in a position to influence and change their family. So God manipulated things so that uh, Joseph can influence. Yeah, okay, that kind of misses the point. Notice he's not starting with the text and then reading it and exegeting it. And he thinks it's about you, really. He's doing the same thing Cornelius was doing. Uh, he was a bit of a forerunner, you might remember. In fact, that he had... Yeah, that's right. Forerunner, type and shadow of Christ. He had gone through adversity and been rejected from his brethren and his coat had been uh, ripped away from him. He'd been thrown into a pit and then worked in Potiphar's house and he was lied on in the house of Potiphar and had to flee there and ended up uh, in prison and in jail for something he didn't do. Stayed in jail and and served God in jail. And finally, justice prevailed. He was eradicated out of his element and placed back up into a place of prominence beyond what had preceded him. People talk about God bringing you back to where you were. I don't want to go back to where I came from. I want to be better than, than where I was. Yeah, you see, there's a problem right there. Is story of Joseph isn't about you. You see what happens when you make... You got some choices when you're looking at a biblical text. You can say, is this pointing me to Christ or is this really pointing to pointing me to me? And see, that's the thing. You'll notice that all of these Bible twisters who scratch itching ears, they take all of the heroes of the Old Testament. Not the, not the villains. You know, you, you, you'd never be the villain. And they take all the heroes and, and the heroes, well, they... Well, that's you. You, you're the hero. You, you, you're Joseph, right? See, he's doing the same thing Bill Cornelius was doing. No bueno. Joseph's gift made room for him and put him in a place of prominence. And it was shocking that one day he was an inmate 
And the next day, he is basically the over the entire financial uh, doings of the nation of Egypt. Famine broke out. Famine broke out. Well, yeah, I didn't know there was famine in the land. Wow. Famine. Dead bodies in the street. Uh, what? <laughs> Which text <laughs> talks about the dead bodies in the street during? Yeah, you know, because, you know, famine, you know, it strikes people down very quickly. You know, one minute you're, you're, sitting, you're walking down the street and you're going, yeah, you know, oh, man, I'm hungry. And ne- next thing you know, you're dead. Yeah, it's famine. I mean, when it strikes, it's like lightning, you know. Nobody well enough to bury them. Sickness and plagues, disease and catastrophe became so overwhelming that it pushed Jacob out of his country and away from his people and forced him down into Egypt. And Jacob goes down into Egypt thinking that his son is dead and his... Yeah, no, um, <laughs> Jacob did not go down into Egypt thinking that Joseph was dead. You see, because... Jacob, uh, Jacob's sons, you know, Judah and Reuben and, you know, the, the, the other guys of the 12 tribes of Israel, you know, the 12 sons. You familiar with these guys at all? They, um, they actually went to Egypt, you know, and to buy, you know, bread from, you know, Egypt. And that's where they saw Joseph. And, you know, they made, uh, they made two trips there. And, and then, you know, Joseph revealed who he was and, and then told them to go and tell his father that he was alive. So no, no, no. Jacob actually didn't go down to Egypt thinking his son was dead. You see, something like this, which is shows that the, you, you can't teach the Bible correctly, is just easily cleared up if you'd open the biblical text and, you know, read it and then exegete it. Yeah, I'm just saying. Other son is dead and his life is over, only to find out that God has strategically placed somebody on the inside for such a time as this. For such a time as this. Yeah, now you're conflating the story of Esther with the story of Joseph. And everyone's there is going, yeah, this is great because it's all about me. Yeah, he's totally twisting God's word. You blessed people, you intellectual people, you gifted people, you talented people, you wealthy people. God didn't give you that stuff for you. Uh, yeah, the story of Joseph is not about me. Why are you making it about me again? He put somebody like you in a position like that so that your heart would be tender toward other people and you would understand and you'd be able to make some changes. He didn't just put you over there for you to just be there. You're on assignment. Right, because, you know, where wherever you are right now, I mean, you know, you could be working at McDonald's. You're on assignment there, you know. And, um, you know, maybe you're working in a cubicle. You're You're on assignment, you know. You're you're probably in the prison phase of your life, like Joseph was, you know. But you're on assignment, the because you know God's manipulating so that you can influence and you know all that kind of stuff. Because you are so important. Your assignment is to be blessed. Your assignment is to be in a decision-making position. Your assignment is to approve or disapprove. Low. Your assignment. God put you there so you could influence the circumstance, and Joseph was there. Yeah, because Joseph was there so that he can... So that means you're supposed to, you know, be in a decision-making capacity so you can influence too. Because, I mean, that's just how important you are. Yeah, right. God can do mighty things with one person. 
Yeah, he can. Um, you familiar with what he did with Jesus Christ? Yeah, you might want to think about that. Joseph got in a position of power and he was there, the Bible says, for posterity so that he could influence his descendants and he changed the course of nature. Uh, um, really, changed the course of nature. Wow. Um, <laughs> so it's not that he <laughs> you know, changed the course of history. No, it was beyond history. It's a, he... Joseph, I mean, before there was, before Joseph walked the planet, I mean, you know, the nature was totally different. I mean, you, you couldn't actually have, you know, cats and dogs living in your house. They, there was no way to domesticate them. But after Joseph, you know, he changed the course of nature. And now thanks to Joseph, cats and dogs can actually live in harmony with humans. I mean, yeah, totally changed the course of nature. He changed the course of nature. He broke generational curses. He delivered his whole family into a new position and a new place in life. And Where does it say that Joseph broke generational curses? I mean, I, okay, note here, folks, that the Potter's House in the greater Dallas-Fort Worth area, um, ginormous auditorium. All of these people are sitting there and they have access to a Bible. All of them. And all they have to do is actually read the story of Joseph and they know that what T.D. Jakes is feeding them is nonsense. It is, it's like it's not even connected at all to reality, or let alone the Bible. This guy is manipulating these people. They were all blessed because of him. They come into Egypt about to faint. They have lost everything. The famine is grievous and intense. Where in the scripture does it say Jacob and his entourage of his family came into Egypt about ready to faint? When they entered Egypt, Pharaoh himself had sent carts that their little ones could ride on and from, you know, from Canaan into Egypt. Just read the text. And they come into Egypt and have an emotional experience because the person that God put in power was somebody they had mistreated. Footnote, be careful how you treat folks. So they had an emotional experience when they came into Egypt. Yeah, wow. Because, you know, they had mistreated. Yeah, they got all of that water under the bridge before they went back to collect Jacob. Read the text! Now, here's just by way of note here. When we get to the Amanda Wells sermon today, it's this bad. I mean, it crosses the line from deception into delusion. I, th I think T.D. Jakes is into the delusional realm, and it's just fascinating that people are clapping and thinking this has anything to do with God's word because he's just like making up his – well, you remember those stories when you used to you – know, when the book fair would come to your uh, elementary school? Uh, the choose your own adventure stories, like you know, you'd read a few pages and then you have to make a decision. You know, does the does the hero go this way or that way? And you, you know, he goes this way, right? And then you keep reading, and then they, oh, now you got another decision. Does the hero fight this monster or run away from the monster? Right? Oh, he runs away. And so then you know, you flip a few pages, it tells you to go to this page. This is like he's turning the Bible into a choose your own adventure story, and he's apparently got some alternate <laughs> reading of the story of Joseph. That's part of this uh, choose your own adventure, you know, Bible series that he's putting together. You know, the, the part where, you know, <laughs> Jacob finally makes it into Egypt and he's crawling on his hands and his knees because he's so hungry 
and he's he's almost dehydrated. And then there's his son Joseph, and he has an emotional experience because we mistreated him. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you think is that in <laughs> Genesis 44? 40, which which chapter of Genesis that it? Well, it's actually in Genesis 44b. Yeah, see, 44b is that alternate reading of the story of Joseph. Yeah, the, in the Choose Your Own Adventure Bible. Especially people that you think you don't need. Because God can move a person that you think you don't need into a position of some power that you have to have them. And wouldn't it be good if you hadn't mistreated them when they were down and they could think well toward you when they are up? Be careful, you never... You know, you never know. You never know. Yeah, you, you you just never know when you know a relative of yours is going to become Pharaoh of Egypt. You just don't know. So he uh, moved him to a position, and and through that position, the whole family comes into a transition of blessings and peace and tranquility, and they have food. and yeah, Transition of blessings, yeah, wow, yeah, that's amazing. They have water, and they have merriment, and they have celebration, and they have a place to stay in Egypt, and everything was going well. Right, yes, everything was going really well. <laughs> Again, this is from Genesis 45c, now in the Choose Your Own Adventure Bible. Everything was going wonderful until Pharaoh died. Yeah. yeah. Joseph died. Yeah. And there arose up a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph nor his God. When he first rose from power, nothing changed. Everything remained the same. Yeah. But once he got settled into his position of prominence, he started thinking, looking out over Egypt, he saw the Israelites and said, hmm, there is a whole lot of them. Yeah, so you got the story of Joseph from the Choose Your Own Adventure Bible. And, and now we're, I think we're into the book of Exodus. I, I think I, officially we're in like Exodus 1 at this point, yeah. You know, forget any time gaps that could have, possibly occurred that's irrelevant i mean yeah it's no sooner did joseph die and pharaoh died did boom you know now we've got this guy okay all right yeah and apparently you know the children of israel went from you know 70 or so of them to like a million pretty quick i mean they're like rabbits maybe more of them than it is of us let's deal wisely with them i want to pause there for a moment because you don't always get to know when people change their mind about you. Right. That's apparently the principle that God has embedded secretly in a, in a code format in the opening chapters of X. You don't know when, you know, people are going to you know, go from liking you to hating you. You just, you don't always get to know. That's what this story is really all about. Because, again, this now the story in the Exodus, it's not really about Moses or God, you know, freeing the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. It's really ultimately about you. Yeah. It's not like a, an alarm goes off, a bell rings, a, a, a flashing light says, warning, 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 things are changing, this person's changing, this person's changing, they switch on you. There's no announcement, they just change. Right, that, yeah, because, yeah, I, I'm glad you're, you're telling me this from the story of Exodus. The Bible says that about Jesus that, 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 that Satan entered the heart of Judas Iscariot. It doesn't say when. Some yeah, it was... <laughs> 
after you know he left the upper room on the night Jesus that it's actually we're pretty clear we know what night it happened on you know along the way maybe in a worship service maybe at a Passover dinner or maybe at an after hours fellowship they- yeah, maybe he was at Dairy Queen having a blizzard and you know and then boom you know Satan entered him through a straw or something you know he just looked at him and switched have you ever had people switch on you yeah, because, you know, the, the betrayal of Jesus by Judas, that's really not about Jesus and Judas. Really, it's about you being betrayed by somebody. Yeah, right. You see, when we read the text, it almost sounds like the children of Israel knew what the new Pharaoh was thinking, but they weren't there when he thought it. <laughs> yeah, I, again, choose your own adventure Bible, Exodus chapter 2, uh, it's actually 2D, yeah. Right. It's an alternate reading. Very few people actually choose that route in the Choose Your Own Adventure Bible. But, yeah, yeah. T.D. Jakes is really, you know, it really kind of breaking new territory here, you know. God does not promise you that you will be privy to every change that happens in your life. Changes that affect you. Changes that disrupt your life. Changes that take you out of your comfort zone. People just switch. Yeah, because those 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 children of Israel, you know, in Goshen, when you know when Pharaoh, you know, decided to you know pass the edict where they had to kill all their 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 sons, their newborn sons, that pushed them outside of their comfort zone, right? Yeah, I think that's an underwhelming way of looking at it. That's why you can't get drunk off of people. Uh, can't get drunk off of people. What? You cannot do it. Because the same person who says Hosanna yeah. today yeah. will say crucify him. One day he looked out. Yeah, so notice here that he makes a, makes a reference to Jesus. You know, on the day of Palm Sunday, Jesus comes into Jerusalem and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then, you know, a week later, they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him. See, Jesus is a type and shadow now of you. You're the reality. See, the Bible's all about, it ain't even about Jesus. You know, so when Jesus was betrayed like that, you know, how the people turned on him. Well, that's to warn you that, hey, people can turn on you the same way because you are so important. Jesus isn't really all that important because if he were, we'd be actually preaching about him. But uh, you, you are very important. You are powerful. You are, you you know, you're a threat to the devil. I mean, you know, that's, that's why we're hearing all of this important stuff about you. And Jesus is now type and shadow, your reality. Over the crowd and he simply changed his mind and decided let's deal wisely. And so he develops a strategy, a strategy to control them, a strategy to attack them. Yeah, notice he hasn't read a single biblical text yet. He's not teaching the Bible. He's teaching, you know, a fiction based on, loosely based on the Bible. A strategy to belittle them, a strategy to intimidate them. He said, I'm going to assign not only a strategy, but an individual, a taskmaster, to make your life hell. Some people 
are sent into your life. Again, apparently all of these stories are about you. To make your life hell. Some people are on assignment to torment you. Which I'm beginning to wonder if you're one of those people because you're tormenting these people with false doctrine. They don't have to focus on him. They don't have to focus on her. They don't have to focus on them. No, this is your personal demon. This is your personal demon. Yeah, because the story of the Exodus is really not about the children of Israel. It's about whatever personal demons you might have in your life. Right. You knows all about you, knows your proclivities, knows your personality. And every now and then he is dispatched. Say, go get him. Make it hard. Don't kill him. Don't kill him. No, he didn't come to kill you. came to afflict you. No, if you kill him, he'll just go and be with Jesus. Afflict him. Don't let him die, because if he dies, he'll have life. Yeah, yeah. how are you getting this from Exodus 1 and 2? I'm, I'm a little confused here. Don't let him live, either. There you are, suspended. <laughs> to death, to be alive. To alive, to be dead. You find yourself existing. Because of what has been sent against you. Right, yeah. Again, how are you finding this in Exodus 1 and 2? And they were taskmasters sent against them to attack them, to make life tough for them. Some of you have had enemies sent after you. It didn't just come, they were sent. They didn't just wander upon you. Some people are just sent into your life to mess it up. They're anointed. Yeah, who's sending these anointed messengers of doom and affliction? And why would they be sent? Who, who's the person sending them and why would he be doing it? To bring you down. They're anointed to dislocate you. They're anointed to take away your joy. They're anointed to move you out of your place of power. They are anointed to move me out of my place of power. Um... Yeah, I, I don't know if I have any of that. To make you miserable. And you start feeling sorry for yourself. I don't know, maybe you don't, I do. But I get in enough trouble, a little bit of trouble, I'm okay. But if it gets bad enough, I get this, I get this old feeling. I don't want to hear no happy music. I want to hear sad stuff. And I wear dark colors. And I don't wash my face. and don't brush my teeth. I just sit up and let my breath stink and look bad and mad and evil. Because I'm going through a bad, I know y'all don't do nothing like that. But I'm going through a bad time. I don't feel like wearing no bright colors. I don't feel like. Smile and I ignore. Yeah, how are you getting this out of the opening chapters of Exodus again? Because you know, when I read, you know, the opening chapters of Exodus, I don't ever think about those times when I forget to brush my teeth and, you know, maybe go around in dark colors or things. When do I do that anyway? It, this is weird. Telephone calls that would make me laugh. I don't want to talk to you. I'm not feeling good. I'm upset. There I am. In this hellish situation, because things have changed, and I feel sorry for myself, and I feel like I'm the victim, I never understood that the test is a compliment. <laughs> yeah, again, we're suffering from narcissism here. 
Uh, when you read yourself into the biblical text, you kind of block the ability to actually see what's really going on in the text of the Bible. I never saw it as a compliment. He didn't attack the children of Israel because they were worthless. He didn't attack the children of Israel because they had no future. He didn't attack the children of Israel because they didn't have power. He attacked them because they were mighty and strong and growing and had potential. I want to talk to somebody who is up under attack. So apparently uh, the reason Exodus 1 and 2 is written to help you realize just how mighty you really are. Because, I mean, otherwise the devil wouldn't be afflicting you like that, you know. That devil is not attacking you because you're a nothing and a nobody. That devil is attacking you because he's afraid of you. He's afraid of your power. He's afraid of your influence. Yeah, um, I don't think the devil's really afraid of me at all. Um, yeah, it... <laughs> Because I was actually born under his dominion in slavery to sin, death, and the devil. I don't think he was afraid of me at all. I think the person he's really afraid of is Jesus. I, I'm i just going to go with that and uh, basically say that T.D. Jakes here, he hasn't even attempted to teach God's word to us. He's come up with the Choose Your Own Adventure Bible and his own theology to go along with his own Choose Your Own Adventure. So choose your own adventure and choose your own theology Bible. And let's just make everything about me rather than Jesus and start making stuff up. Like I said, this is kind of crossing the line from the deceived into the delusional. I mean, this is really crazy. But believe it or not, it's going to get crazier. But uh, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. Sermon review from Amanda Wells. And it's going to be a lot of work fact-checking, and it's, I can already tell it's going to be a mess. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hi, Rich Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. The internet and the countless technologies around us, such as smartphones, tablets, PCs, cameras, video games, have become quintessential parts of our daily lives. In fact, our broadcast might be streaming on your phone right now. Communication and access to information has advanced faster than our ability to manage it responsibly. Texting and email are but two small examples of how technology has provided the means necessary to communicate over long distances, while at the same time giving people the ability to hide behind shadowy anonymity. By its very nature, technology is a double-edged sword. It provides the immediacy we desire and need, yet it also provides gateways for isolation from proper supervision. As adults, we can govern our own actions and submit to others for accountability. Or not. But how good are we at modeling or overseeing technology in the hands of children? 
Do our children have more knowledge about technology than we do? Do we choose to trust our children with such powerful tools without any oversight? Many people nowadays are aware of the dangers of the internet, such as cyberbullying, sexting, predators, stalking, trolling, video game addiction, pornography, etc., etc. But simple awareness is rarely met with measures of protection, appropriate oversight, or engaging communication. Typically, parents are trusting and simply managing from crisis to crisis because they don't know where to start or what to do in the first place. The Parentum was created as a centralized destination to provide parents information on the available security tools for all internet-connected devices. We provide educational instructions on how to protect families from technological immersion and information on a host of potential life-altering risks born from the dangerous elements of the internet. The Parent Dome's mission is to empower parents to be actively aware and engage stewards of technology for their children. Technology advances daily, and those seeking to exploit it with the intent to cause harm maintains that same pace. At the Parent Dome, we continually update our website in order to properly address the changing needs of parents and families to better defend them against predatory exploits. Please visit us at www.parentdome.com for further information. Thank you. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. I hate to call this a sermon, but technically this is sermon review time. the bad the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via christian growth center in the biller k in the united kingdom amanda wells presiding the name of the uh well lecture uh, delusional deceptive um just downright dumb um uh, life-changing kind of thing that we'll be listening to is entitled On Earth As It Is In Heaven. And I, I gotta tell you, I think Amanda Wells has... Well, she's like an Olympian. And you gotta work with me here for a second. You know, certain athletes, I mean, they strive to be the best at what they do. And in the deception category, I think Amanda has decided that it's really her job to not only throw out the occasional heretical statement, but she's trying to pack as much complete nonsense into as few minutes as possible. I, I, I believe that if there were a, a gold or platinum medal for heresy, and it was based upon heresies per minute, then, well, Amanda Wells, she would go down into the Hall of Fame as... The, the greatest heretical person of all times. 
and I think this sermon will demonstrate that. Let me go ahead and back off on the music, and without any further ado, here is Amanda Wells and her sermon. Yeah, I don't know what to call this thing. On Earth as it is in Heaven, here we go. It is so good to be here, and we've only got to tonight in Bournemouth, and then where I'm off. Oh, look. And then tomorrow I'm, I'm off. I'm back home to Australia. It's been a bit of a whirlwind. We've been in, uh, oh, CGC Rayleigh. Then we went over to Germany. Then from Germany we had an amazing time. From Germany we came back to uh, Malden. No, somewhere up Nottingham, Malden, now here, and Bournemouth. So it has been a bit of a whirlwind. But it's so good to be here. I believe God is doing so many amazing things in in England and as I said in Nottingham and probably Malden I don't know but you are on the very precipice of something amazing and I believe you know yeah, more like the precipice of hell just press in further the church has to just press in further and as they do you're going to see amazing things let me just go through some of the things I, I do have a bit of stock with me I don't want to take home you know, uh, British Airways don't let you. So, no, I'm only joking. Um, this is, I've got a. Yeah, she's got books that she's got to sell. And British Airways wouldn't allow her to take it back to Australia because, you know, she flew it all the way from Australia to the United Kingdom. I mean, they're not about to let her, you know, take it back with her. Yeah, so you need to buy it quick. Book on, it's called Right to Wealth. And it's how, how to start and write a book. Do you know, so many people have books inside of them, their story books and they don't do anything with them with it because they don't know where to start and I've done quite a few books now I haven't got them all here some have been sold out um, but that gives you from the very beginning to the end right through to marketing your book because if you don't market it you're going to have it in your garage and it's not going to do very <laughs> as we know yes <laughs> and it won't do very much product producing ideas do you know there are so many entrepreneurs in the body of Christ and they've not done anything with it they got an idea. they got something. they got a product. That is your creative ability to get wealth. So what do you do with that creative idea? How do you, how do you produce something? I met someone yesterday, and the, the, the two of them had the brain of a bus, or well, the brain of a supermarket. They blew me away. And two Christians, and they were amazing. So many ideas. And I'm thinking, how many ideas are in the body of Christ, and yet the body of Christ is still poor? Why? And, and so that's one, can a nation be changed in a day? This is a book about reformation from Isaiah 61. I look at how, uh, from terrorism, and I wrote this way back, ten, a lot, you know, quite a few years ago now, and uh, not realizing the effect that terrorism would now have on us. And that, uh, from that, you know, because they know how to reform. 911, it was reforming. It hit every, every target. It hit the banking, it hit every area. The, the mountains. So, in my father's house, what is sonship? Package your brilliance factor. Well, I think that says it all. You're all brilliant. Just package it up and walk through. Package your brilliance factor. Yeah, wow. I didn't even realize I had a brilliance factor. Mindset mastery, how to work through your mind and your soul. What is the difference? Um, at, right to wealth, uh, no, wealth is also a, a, an interesting one. I met a Jew on a pr- plane. And I don't do planes, Meryl will tell you. Well, I do do them, but I sleep before we leave the tarmac. I am asleep as it's rattling down the tarmac. I'm gone. That's it. I don't talk. Don't do anything. I might eat if I wake up, but otherwise I'm asleep. So I was going from here to Paris, sound asleep. 
and uh, I, that's what I wanted. So I was in the window seat and I did not want to be disturbed because that was my bit of sleep. I didn't have to do people. I was away. So I put my book up like this so that the person next to me knew I wasn't going to talk. So I've got my book up like this. A man sits next to me. He says, hello. I said, hello. He said, where are you going? I said, the plane's going to Paris. I hope I am too. Got my book back up. And he said, oh, so what do you do for a living? I'm like, hmm. I said, I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll just, I'll scare him. I said, I'm a pastor. I preach about Jesus Christ. And I thought, I really want to sleep. And anyway, I gave it. Yeah, she's not a pastor. God's word forbids that. Salvation message in two minutes. And he says, wow. I'm like, that's not the response I wanted, God. He said, I'm a Jew. I said, oh, really? I said, well, my, my husband's got a bit of, bit of Jew way back in him. And he said, oh, does he, you know, does he follow the feast? I said, no, he doesn't blow trumpets or anything like that, you know. And uh, he wasn't a Messianic Jew, but we got talking. Anyway, I, he, uh, he found out what I did. And I said to him, so what do you do for a living? He said, well, I'm the biggest shoemaker in the world. He said, I make shoes for guests. Armani, Jimmy Choo, I am woman. I love shoes. He's won me. The book's gone now. I'm like, where is your card? Anyway, we started talking, and this was in 2007, just before the financial crisis. And I said to him, Mum, so tell me, how is the financial crisis affecting your company? Now, he's a Jew, and he put me on a journey as to the Hebraic thinking from that moment on. And he looked at me like I had gone insane. He just looked at me and he said, I'm a Jew. I am blessed. Okay. And I'm thinking, Christians, oh, God, I don't think he's going to come through for me. I'm so poor. And I'm thinking, here is this man who's not even, doesn't even know Jesus, but he knew his heritage. I am a Jew. I am blessed. That From that moment on, I wanted to see how the Jews did business. There was something about what they believed. So that- this is bizarre, and you, you got to understand something. Um, the um, those who are genetically Jewish, um, they and they don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They're not really blessed now, are they? Um, because upon death, they well, they end up with every other person regardless of whether they're Jew or Gentile, who doesn't trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Yeah, uh, this is weird. This is, I, in fact, hang on. You smell that? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, heavy smell of bovine scatology. I, I'm beginning to think that uh, she's not really speaking the whole truth. You know what I'm saying? Where that and another book I had, but I've run out of it, has come from. And so... Uh, that this one is uh, what is it the spirit of adoption i'm going to speak on a little bit of that today not all of it but the rest is on dynasty and building a dynasty and uh, this this cd series i love it's a new one so let's start today are we ready now so apparently she's done trying to sell her books and now they're she's ready to dive into the message okay said all that okay let's go father i just thank you today for everything for who you are Oh, God, I just thank you that, that your kingdom come. And, Father God, I thank you that your will 
is done in this place. Father, I thank you that heaven is on earth. Let it not be just just rhetoric. Let it Thank you that heaven is on earth. I'm looking outside. Yeah, it doesn't look like heaven. It looks like North Dakota to me. Not be just a state a religious statement. But God, give us hungry hearts today. Give us such a passion to understand and know what that really means. And not only understand it and know it, but but experience, Scott. We want to experience that. Father, I thank you for what you're going to do in this meeting. I, I just submit myself to you. May every word come from your throne today. Yeah, let's see if lies come from the throne of God. Because last time I checked in Scripture, it says God cannot lie. So we'll, we'll see if this is really coming from God's throne. Father, I thank you for your presence in this place. It's been here already. Father, God, continue. We just, we just woo you. We woo you as you woo us. We woo you back. What does that mean? I'm wooing God. Um, what? Father, today we just, I just thank you in faith, by faith, for everything you're going to do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to speak a little bit today. Just keep smiling at me um, because sometimes the Germans... So you don't think you're getting through it all until the second meeting. Uh, but but the English sort of just sit there and forget to smile. Can Is it me or does she like make like racially awkward statements? Uh, you know, in in like regularly. I mean, first Jewish people, now Germans and the Brits. She really makes some strange racially awkward statements. Just ask you to remind yourself every five minutes just to just put a smile on that I'm happy. Otherwise, I, I, I get scared of you because there's more of you than me. I'm going to talk about some things today that you might have heard, but you may not have heard totally. And who knows where I will go? Right. Yeah, I, I do. You're going to end up in the truth ditch. You, you know, you're going to steer right off the road of truth into the ditch of, well, despondency, despair, and deception, and delusion. Right. And so I, I want us to look, first of all, at a very powerful concept. And if we could, if we could get a hold of this this concept, I so first we're, we're going to look at a powerful concept. Okay, okay. What's the concept, Amanda? I believe that the church would be so different and so powerful. You know, just as we were walking in here, um, the Lord spoke a scripture to me. He he did. The Lord spoke a scripture to you. Oh, wow. What did it sound like? Said uh, when the enemy comes in like a flood. The Lord will raise up a standard. And I thought, well, we all know that. You know, he's got a flag there. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, and ISIS is coming like a flood. But the, the, the Christians should not be afraid. I looked at that scripture again and could not believe it. I just did a quick Hebrew search of it. And when the enemy comes in a flood, do you know what God does? He actually causes the Christians to disappear. That's what the Hebrew means. Disappear. What's that? I believe that we should be so powerful that we've got a powerful Jesus. We've got a powerful God that we, we can just translate. Uh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, man. So, <laughs> the, uh, the <laughs> There's a passage in question is Isaiah 
5919. And she said she checked the Hebrew. <laughs> so we'll do that because I actually read and speak Hebrew. All right. So, um, the, <laughs> oh, man. Um, the uh, the text in question is, you know, when the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises up a standard. But I need to check what um, translation. Okay, that's KJV. Got it. Okay, so I hang on. I got to check my KJV. I didn't have that open. I told you this was going to take some serious fact checking. All right. So when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard, a noose um, against him. Okay, so we're going to do a little bit of a Hebrew search here. Um, raise up a standard uh, to flee or to escape. Um, okay, let me check the ESV real quick here. See if I can figure out what's going on in a modern translation. Isaiah fifty nine nineteen. Um, so they shall fear the name of the Lord from the from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun, for He will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. Okay, yes, I see that again. I see how they're using the uh, word nus. Nasa. All right, got it. All right, so, um, got it. So she thinks that this word that the uh, KJV um, translates as standard means that we Christians are supposed to translate, I guess, Harry Potter style. You know, so uh, when when ISIS comes to behead you, then what should happen is, is you should just go poof. You know, I you know, like I dream of genie or you know, bewitched or whatever. You just twinkle your nose, you know, and then you just and you can disappear because she did a Hebrew search and and the word standard apparently means you can just disappear. And the answer is no, that's actually not. Uh, to flee or to escape is another way of uh, of translating that uh, Hebrew word. But to say that you disappear? Uh, yeah, no, I'm fairly certain she doesn't know what she's talking about. We continue. And I started that a bit early, but I won't, I won't go there. We will, we will go from one place to another. Can you believe it? We've been told he's just going to raise up a little flag. That's only one. That's one part of that word. What happened to the rest of the meaning in Hebrew? <laughs> she did a word search. Come on. You know, she looked it up in Strong's, man. And, you know, the <laughs> so the, apparently... Isaiah fifty nine nineteen promises that you can translate and just, you know, disappear. No, actually it doesn't. Christians, we should be so powerful that ISIS looks at us, are about to behead us, and we just disappear. Just like Jesus did when he walked towards the cliff, they were about to push him off, and he disappeared. Where? No, actually he just walked through the crowd and escaped. Uh, yeah, read your Gospels. The church. Why are we so natural? Why are we so, oh God, we can't do that. If Jesus did it, so can we, as he is. Yeah, so apparently Jesus walked on water, so can you. You know, Jesus raised, so can you. You know, yeah, you see, if Jesus did it, you know, you can do it too. You know, so, yeah, wow, this is a train wreck, and we're only nine minutes in. Who am I in this world? And we're sitting there worried about ISIS. I'm not. Because as he is, so am I. We have the power of God behind us. 
Can you imagine the power of God? Let me, if like this silly thing will accept my password. There we go. And I believe the church is about to move into the supernatural like we have never moved before. Right. Yeah. We're, we're just zipping out of, you know, danger. You know, when ISIS comes at you with their machetes, you just poof, you know, up in a puff of smoke, disappear. I'm not sure about you, but I'm tired of natural church. Aren't you? No power. Not seeing miracles. Not seeing anything. Just going to church on Sunday and that's it. I want a supernatural church. I have a supernatural God. And it- yeah, yeah. She, she's tired of natural church. She wants supernatural church. You know? Yeah, since she's tired about it, you know, soon we'll be, we won't even have to drive our cars to church. We'll just pop in and pop out, you know, because it's so, you know, supernatural. It'll be just like Harry Potter. You have to understand that if we want heaven on earth, uh, isn't that funny? We pray it. Oh, God, give us heaven on earth. But as soon as heaven turns up, oh, they're Fruit Loops. What? An angel? Oh, that's a bit freaky. Let's not, let's not go too far. I'm going as far as he takes me. I'm going out there in the supernatural because that's what I want. Yeah, because that's what you want. I mean, God clearly has to obey you, Amanda. I mean, yeah, that's what, since that's what you want, you know, God has to give you it. Yeah, that's how that works. Maybe you can have one of those Veruca Salt type, uh, you know, temper tantrums. I want it now, Daddy. I want it now. So, and then the, and God, the Holy Spirit, oh, darling, uh, please don't do that. Here, 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 here's some supernatural miracle. I'll let you pop in and pop out when ISIS is attacking you. No problem. Please stop making that noise. I want that. And so if we want, you know, we've been praying it. Oh, God, bring your signs and wonders. As soon as a wonder comes, oh, that, that mustn't be God. We had a wonder in Rayleigh with the pastor's wife, CGC even. She stood like this for over an hour. But her lips were sealed shut. She couldn't talk. That's a wonder. Because if you know gel, she never stops talking. So she went into a demonic comatose state. Got it. I want wonders. Do you? Or are you just happy with church on Sunday? If you are, bless you. But I'm not staying with you. I'm going Romans 8. Good. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to hear that. So, you know, when we have natural church at the church I serve, you won't show up because it's natural church and not super supernatural enough for you. Good. Glad to know that. We've figured out a way to keep you out. 15. Let's go there and see where, where we're going to go. So I've got to try and stay on this. Now, stay on it? What, what have you been staying on? You haven't actually said anything biblical yet. I'm going to show you something, this concept, and then we're going to go a bit deeper. Deeper? Uh, You're assuming we've actually broken the surface of anything biblical at this point. No, we really haven't. And I I think this has been something we have missed. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves, thank God, so that you live in fear again. We shouldn't be living in fear. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. I'm going to talk on that. The key word here is adoption. Do you know that word is only used five times in the Bible? And the only time it's ever used is in the New Testament. 
So when the early church heard this scripture, they had a totally different meaning than what we have. Because for us, adoption means sons that have no family, daughters that have no family, children that were given away that are homeless, wanting a father. Needing a home. But to the early church, they didn't have that meaning. It was totally different to them. The only ones that ever had adoption as fatherless children were the Persians. They were the only ones who used this word. To the Hebrews, there was no word for adoption. They didn't understand the word adoption. Because when they had a son that they wanted to bring into their family. It was not adoption as we know it. When they wanted a son to come or, or someone to join their family, it was not adoption because what it was was the dynasty or their house, like the house of Windsor, their dynasty, everything that they had, their legacy was to be passed on to this person. Now, this is the first bit of it. So they went before a judge, and the judge would say, is there three witnesses that will say, we allow the dynasty, the legacy, and the house to be passed on to this person? Three witnesses would say, I do, I do, I do. And the house or the legacy would be passed on. Jesus said, I have given you a house I am building a house. It's not a house as in bricks, but it's a house that is a dynasty. A di- I, I, this, this isn't even lucid. I mean, she's reading. she read out uh, Romans 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And then she launches into some kind of talk about supposedly the Old Testament and how uh, there was that they didn't have a concept of adoption. Oh, okay, sure. Um, and now she's talking about how supposedly we're supposed to receive a dynasty. Yeah, I, I didn't. I wasn't dynasty one of those programs that aired on NBC back in the eighties. I think it was pronounced differently. Yeah, who shot Jr. is what I want to know, but. Anyway, um, she's not making any – I don't understand a word of what she's saying. That We continue, and I don't think she knows Greek or Hebrew. Dynasty has power. A dynasty has wealth. If you look in the book of Acts, he says, I, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and the three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, stand and say, yes, I want this person to come into the house. He says, power will come upon you. Dunamis. The word dunamis in English, if you look it up in the dictionary. What 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 verse in the book of Acts is she talking about with the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son are saying, do you want to come into my house? What are you talking about? And you look it up in the thesaurus, dunamis, I'm talking too fast, means dynasty. You no, know, it doesn't. You <laughs> yeah, dunamis is a basic Greek word. It means power, might, ability. Yeah, it has nothing to do with, with dynasty. She's just making stuff up at this point. How is it that these people didn't at least throw her out? I mean, I, I don't think it's necessary to stone her. Just lock her out of the building, you know, just walk her to the door and say, 
Thank you, Amanda. You're done now. Um, you don't know what you're talking about. Not just creative, miraculous power. It means dynasty. It means... Yeah, there's no lexicon that says that dunamis need, means dynasty. What you're building today, someone else is going to build on it tomorrow. It means when you come into the house of God, everything that he has is yours. It is powerful. It is wealthy. It is supernatural. It's like Cara, uh, you know, Princess uh, Catherine Middleton. Walt, she was pretty, she was intelligent. No one really knew her except her boyfriends and a few girlfriends. But when she got into the dynasty, the house of Windsor, now everything that was theirs is now hers. And she has the power of the house behind her. God has always been interested in dynasties. That's not my message. Why did I go there? He, the house of God, the house of Israel, the house of Saul, the house of Jacob, everything was about a house. And God's saying, if I want to build my house, I'm going to build my, I'm going to build my dynasty. And the gates of hell. I'm going to build my dynasty. She's just engaging in linguistical nonsense at this point. And the fact that none of these people actually know Greek or Hebrew or whatever, they're sitting there going, wow. She's so smart. But no, she's really not. And not come against a dynasty. Now, where were we? Let's try and get off that now and come back to adoption. So when you come into, into salvation, yes, it's about knowing a father. But it's actually about the three in one. Saying, we accept her now or we accept him into the dynasty. Meaning... <laughs> So the Trinity is, salvation is the Trinity saying, we accept you into the dynasty. I had no idea. I've read my Bible many times, uh, New Testament many times, translated uh, large swaths of it from the original languages into uh, English. Never saw that passage that talks about the Trinity accepting me into the dynasty. Yeah, this is news to me. Everything that the Father has is now ours. Nothing missing, nothing broken. So adoption to the Hebrews meant something else. They had no word for adoption. The mm -hmm. Okay. only word that they had for adoption was the word yada. Yada. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the Hebrew word for no. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Or I know Hebrew. Um, yeah. Um, okay. So the Hebrew word... Yada means to know. Got it. And yada meant this. To be revealed as who you were originally created to be. Yeah, no. Uh, the Hebrew word yada does not mean that. I, where are you getting this? Are you just making stuff up? I mean, like I said, this crosses the line from deception into utter delusion. Why are these people listening to her? So... When, when he says in Romans, you have the spirit of adoption, it's not just about being fatherless and coming into a father. It is the father suddenly revealing who I was originally created to be. That's... Yeah, um, no, that... Where are you getting this? Salvation. 
To the Jews, adopted, adoption meant revealing the, the child's created identity. Uh-huh. <laughs> to the Jews who had no word for adoption, adoption means yada, you know, which means, you know, revealing your created identity. Yeah, I don't know anybody who knows Hebrew or Greek or any, you know, that would say, oh, yeah, this woman. She has a commanding knowledge of, of these languages and is just a profound and inaccurate in her uh, in her preaching and teaching. This is nonsense. Nothing to do with family as such, but revealing who they always were. Receiving Jesus and being adopted is so much more than just a father and a son. And just a father never rejecting me. When I get born again, God reveals who I was originally created to be. Mm-hmm. How did you get there again? I yeah, I I'm I'm lost. Can you imagine? No, I can't, because you know, evil Knievel could not have jumped this gap of logic here. Way too broad for him. Who you were originally created to be. You were created amazing. You were created supernatural. You were created awesome. You were created incredible. You were incre- you were created. Yeah, you are familiar with this thing called the fall. I mean, you know, granted, you know, when God created man, he created uh, man, male and female in his image. This is correct. Uh, but then after the fall into sin, um, we're born dead in trespasses and sins and by nature... Um, well, objects of God's wrath. Read the opening uh, verses of Ephesians chapter 2 there um, to, if you're confused. Um, so this is weird. This is just, well, narcissistically bizarre, but I mean delusional in its content. To be healed. You were in- created to be prosperous. Right. I-, I was apparently created to be prosperous. I clearly am not living up to my creation mandate. You were created with nothing missing, nothing broken. And when- uh, yeah, I was born dead in trespasses and sins, though. You familiar with these concepts? You get born again. God is saying, yes, I'm your father. But the thing is, now I'm revealing to the world who you were created to be. Uh, so God's going to let everybody know just to, that I'm the bee's knees. Got it. And the church walk around. Oh, God. Don't you know I'm sick? Yeah, I'm basically saying, don't you know you haven't rightly handled any biblical text and what you've said makes no biblical, logical, sane sense at all? It's These are more like the ravings of a crazy person. Don't you know? I don't like the carpet. I don't like God saying, come on, Amanda. Before you were in your mother's womb, Jeremiah 1 verse 5, he says, before I formed you, I knew you. That word new is the word yada before you. Yeah, that's right. Yada means to know. That's correct. So before I formed you, I knew you. That's correct. That's what that word means. It doesn't mean, you know, to reveal to you what you were originally created or whatever. Your mother's womb, Jeremiah. I knew you. I yadaed you. I created you to be revealed. <laughs> I yadaed you. Yeah, yada, yada, yada. Who you were originally were. We were created for heaven. We were created in heaven. We were put on earth and God said, here's a... We were created in heaven? Really? 
Um, not even Adam and Eve were created in heaven. They were created by God here on earth. What, what are you talking? Are you a Mormon? Do you believe that, you know, that God has spirit babies up in heaven that have to take on human form? What is this? present, guys. It's called earth. Now just walk as I created you to be. You were created to be a success. Yeah, because I'm so amazing. You were created to be prosperous. Oh, you yeah. I, I just need to figure out how to activate that somehow. Clearly, I've, I can't even find the prosperity switch. What's wrong with me? Created to be a champion. You were Yeah, have you... Have you <laughs> yeah, if I was created to be a champion, I've got some serious, um, well, athletic training I need to undergo. Created amazing. You were born with a purpose. That's all. Yeah, the dream destiny thingy. Clearly, I'm, I'm super important. Already been written about your life. There's already a decree in heaven. There's already a scroll in heaven that has your life on it. And some of us are not living to that life. And God. Yeah, you, you better jump up into heaven and take a look at that scroll so you can figure out what the blueprint is so you can figure out how to fulfill it, you know? Come on, I knew you. I just want to reveal to the earth who you were originally were. We're scared of ISIS, and yet we have the power of God in us. Yeah, the power to poof, you know, disappear like witches and warlocks, right? I'm listening to some Christians. Oh, they're going to get us. Come on. If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, I, I nominate you to, you know, head into the Middle East and watch you get rid of them. You know, I, you can just be right there at the apex of the, you know, spiritual prophetic troops going in to eliminate ISIS. I, I go for it, Amanda. Go for it. Genesis, it says Adam in, in, in chapter four, Adam knew his wife. Do you know what that word knew is? Yada. Yeah, that's true. You're correct with that one. It means the role of a man and the role of a father is to reveal who the woman was originally created to be. Yeah, no. When it, Boy, I, this is kind of awkward here. What she just said is like not even accurate. The problem is, is what that really means in that context has something to do with the birds and the bees, you know. So when Adam yadad, <laughs> I hate to say it that way, his wife, he knew her. Yeah, that means, you know, conjugal, you know, things. So, wow, this is so bad. Isn't it funny how church, well, you're a woman, you can't talk. Yeah, that's what scripture says. Isn't that weird? You're complaining against what God wrote in his word. Yeah. That's impossible. We're supposed to have 30,000 words a day. Yeah, and none of them are to be spoken from a pulpit, you know, in uh, when the church gathers for word and sacrament. Yeah, talk to the Holy Spirit on that one. He actually had the Apostle Paul write that into Scripture. Not once, but twice. You men, you only speak five. How are you? Good. Did you enjoy work? Yes. We're women. We hate waste. We don't do waste. So if you don't use your words, we don't want them wasted. We right. So this is why women should be pastors because, you know, women say so many words a day and dudes don't. So, you know, that's, yeah, there's a, 
airtight argument for women being pastors. Only use them for you. So if you're not going to use your 25,000, we'll use them for you and we'll have almost 60,000. Some of us like me have more. And why on earth? Isn't it funny how, and I'm going to show you in a second, how we have been, how religion tries to crush the woman. So religion tries to crush women. Yeah, wow, this is taking even yet another weird turn. Don't let her talk. Well, how stupid. If we can't preach, if we can't teach in church, Paul said we are not to talk. So why are we saying hello to each other? Yeah, because that isn't what he was saying. He wasn't saying, yeah, before the service begins. You can't say, hey, how's it going? Yeah, going great. How? Hey, looks like service is about to get started. Let's. Why don't we have a seat, you know? And and then sit quietly, you know, while the service is taking place. Yeah, see, that's just bizarre. Again, these are the ravings of somebody who I don't think is actually there mentally. I think we might be dealing with something organically wrong here. Sila, well, you've already been disobedient there, so you might as well get up and preach and teach. Right, yeah. Because you already said hello. I mean, let's go the full hog. Yeah, so because women can say hello before the service starts, that, that well, and that's apparently disobedient. You know, we that means they might as well go ahead and become pastors. Yeah, another airtight argument for women's ordination right there from the prophetess Amanda Wells. Wow. As we would say, Adam knew his wife. That's why when a girl gets married and the, the father says before the altar and the, the priest says, who gives this man? It's not dads that you're saying, oh, I do, I do. Now she's yours. You can spend the money on clothes. What you're doing as a man, you're saying, I revealed who she was created to be up until now. <laughs> You know, uh, when I walked my uh, my first daughter down the aisle, and they asked, you know, who gives this uh, woman away, and I, you know, I said I do. I had no idea. I was saying I've been revealing who she really is to the whole world when I said that, and that uh, her her husband to be at the time was now taking on the responsibility of revealing who she was to the to the world. I no idea. I did. I really did not did not understand that aspect. Clearly, I live in a hole or something. Now I'm I'm giving her to another man who will now continue to reveal who she's created to be. Right. Yeah. Because you know that would that's what it means to yada something. Right. The problem is the church has not been revealing the women. Uh, right, yeah. Uh, uh, ironclad argument for women's ordination number three from the prophetess Amanda Wells. Oh, well, that was a side note, and I don't know why I said that. Yeah, I don't know either, because none of it actually even began to remotely touch something called truth. She was born to reign. Hebrew, uh, women in Hebrew. Do you know what that word woman means? It means mankind with a womb, able to birth generational destiny into the earth. Is it really um, the Hebrew word isha? Where did you, which lexicon, you know, says that the Hebrew word isha means that? Any wonder that the women have been shut down. 
I love how Jesus, and why am I getting onto women today? Someone here has an issue. You won't by the time we're Yeah, the, the person with the issue is Amanda Wells, and it's a truth-telling issue because she doesn't seem to know how to do that. Finished. Do you know, uh, there is something about woman. Woman is powerful. The, br- the bride is classed as a woman. She's not a eunuch. You ever notice that? Men, how do you fall in love with a man? I don't know, but God says you have to love him because you're now a she. Why? Because you have a womb of the spirit and you're able to birth destiny into the earth, men. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wow. (laughs) So (laughs) the reason why the church is called the Bride of Christ is because she has a womb of the Spirit. That includes you dudes. Who knew? Oh, my, my, my. I don't know if I'm going to make this sermon. This is preposterous. Why are these people not cracking up and, and basically throwing tomatoes at this woman? What is this? And there is, there is Adam. God creates him. Can you imagine Adam was so powerful that he looked at an animal and said, let's call that an elephant. And yeah, there's some power right there. Yeah. Power to name. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I'm going to use my imagination. And what would it sound like? Not like meow. I don't know how. I don't know. I've done it to my grandchild, but I don't know how an elephant goes. That is a lot. Can you imagine naming everything? Even a gnat. That is the power that Adam had that we now have. Yeah, actually, that was an authority given to him. See, there's a difference between power and authority, by the way. Yeah, um, that was an authority given to him by God, not a power. Yeah, wow, we're confusing some concepts here. Our creative ability is so huge that we're not tapping into it. That- right, yeah, our creative ability, just, you know, because we're apparently not yachting our creative ability, you know. God puts Adam to sleep. Adam wakes up, and there in front of him is Mwah! Woohoo! He looks and says, That's no elephant. That is woman. Woman. And he names her. Naming is so important, it has spiritual significance. He names her woman. Then they have a little bit of an issue, get hungry, want a tree that they shouldn't have, and they fall. The first thing Adam does is he, the, uh, God comes to him, and, and of course the curse comes into place. Adam renames her and says, you are no longer woman. You are now Eve. Eve. I never call her Eve. I don't like the name Eve as from the Bible. I like the name Eve, but not when, when it's put in Adam and Eve in that context. I'll tell you why. Eve means this, the mother of all living. Yes, we know that. But it means something else if you go into the Hebrew. It means those who will have issues with their body forever. <laughs> no, it doesn't. 
<laughs> I would like to have her call one Hebrew scholar who could back this. <laughs> so apparently the <laughs> the word Eve. I had no idea. The word Eve apparently means <laughs> one who will have issues with their body forever. <laughs> oh, man. And by the way, the Hebrew word for Eve is Chawa. And that just is not even close to what Chawa means. I mean, Wow. I mean, let me let me pull this up in my uh, in my Hebrew lexicon. Um, yeah, it <laughs> means mother of all the living. Um, wow, there, not, I didn't know any nothing here about being having problems with your body. Okay, <sighs> we continue. Look at us girls. We want to suck it in. I mean, we've spanked it in. Sucked it in, suck it up, Botox it out. You know, you know what I mean. We're, our lips are bigger than 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 our forehead. We pull it up so we've got a ponytail of skin, which is our navel at the top. Why? Because we've been put into that place where no longer are we the, able to birth destiny into earth. We're more worried about our issues. We're no longer able to birth destiny into the earth. We're concerned with the issues regarding our bodies. All because Adam named his wife Eve. No, this is just bizarre. And isn't it amazing when Jesus came, what did he call nearly everybody, every woman? He didn't actually call them by name except Mary and Martha. He called them woman. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you who have issues with your body forever. <laughs> Jesus was saying to them. Woman. He even called his mother woman. What was he doing? He, yeah, what was he doing? Doesn't he know that she has issues with her body? He's restoring the very purpose of a woman. Oh, okay. To birth dreams, right? Mary, the mother of Jesus, I love this woman. She understood something powerful. She understood that if heaven was on earth, that if she gave birth to heaven, if she gave birth to God, not only is God powerful, but she's, her, she's his natural mother. She has to be powerful also. Right, yeah, right. She's got to be powerful. Yeah, that's what she was. Which, which passage talks about... He, uh, uh, Mary knowing how powerful she was? Something about Mary. She accelerated time and, and brought heaven to earth. She accelerated time. I had no idea she had that ability. Wow. Where'd you find that again? So she was, you know, she, she was a time traveler. Yeah. And, and restored purpose. Her purpose even even brought his purpose into place. That's the that's the very function of the church. Heaven to earth. She's at a wedding. Now remember, Mary isn't the most popular girl in town. Thirty years ago, if you're a single mother, you, you know you, you didn't tell anybody. They shipped you off. Forty years ago, it was still not done. Can you imagine this? She's pregnant. 
to Joseph. He thinks I've got to marry this woman. And now she turns around and says, I'm pregnant to people. Oh, and I'm, I'm birthing God. God's the father. Do, 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 do. Um, do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's that, that music. I've been playing that in my head ever since you started preaching this sermon in, in reference to you. Not she's a single mother, but now she thinks God's a, God's a father. Joseph, were you, were you short a couple of pennies up here to be marrying her? Anyway, she gets to a wedding. Now, this always amazes me. At a wedding, and we've had two, the last, per- the last person you want to know that has run out of food is the guest. If we ran out of food, Roger, who's my husband, I'm, I'm married 38 years. Thank you, Jesus, he put up with me. 38 years, I've got three children and one grandchild. And I also have a business and I'm, I, I minister, you know, I, I preach. I'm a pastor in our church. So don't tell me you can't do it. You can't. Yeah, no, God's word forbids you from being a pastor, even if you have a lot of words to say in a day. Just, just you can, because I can do all things, all things. I can do it. So anyway, Mary's there. Now, if it was a wedding, I'd be saying, Roger, see, you get one P, I get one P, the guests get the rest. You have one carrot, I have one carrot, the guests get the rest. But somehow, Mary is a guest. And she finds out somehow that they have no more wine. No more wine at the wedding. So th- that's okay. She turns around and she says, see him over there. That's my son. That's my boy. Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. What party tricks was Jesus doing at home? Hello. How did she know that suddenly he could turn water into wine? Jesus. Now, I love this. He turns around and says, woman, he restored her purpose. And then he says this, it's not my time yet. <laughs> so when Jesus said to his mom, woman, see, by saying woman, it, he was basically restoring her purpose. Yeah, wow, I had no idea. That's entertaining. Hello? time? Doesn't he know time? It's not my time yet. Oh, I love it. What a good mother. I don't care. Just do it. And suddenly she she accelerated the purpose of God. She, she accelerated the purpose of God. Really? Or heaven to earth. Ah, that's what she was doing at the wedding face, feast in, the, in Cana of Galilee. Right there because he restored her purpose. And, and heaven broke out. Broke out, right? Yeah, okay. I love it. I'm sure you do. I still have no clue what you're talking about. Just a side note here in that scripture where it says... Side note. Everything you've said is a side note. I don't think you even... Do you even have like a main topic you were going to talk on? Oh, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The word yada is used six times. And do you know what the Hebrew letter six is? It's the letter vav. And this is what it means. Everything, every, every time God says something, it's for a reason. Okay, so let me see if I got this straight. 
So the word yada appears six times in this verse that you claim that you were referencing but didn't read and you can't actually read Hebrew. And because it appears six times, well, that references the the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the Vav, right? And that means this. So, whoa, we're, we're, wow, we're going really deep here in the Hebrew. I mean, I, you see, if you just count up the number of times yada appears, you can figure out what letter it corresponds to, and then you can crack the code as to what that letter, you know, somehow signifies or means. Right. Religion says, oh, it doesn't really mean that. Rubbish. With God says it, it's it. Yeah, where did God say that Vav means that? I'd like you to show me where God says that. By translation, oh, that was for Philip. Well, was Philip some special angel? He was like you and I. Healing, oh, it's not for today. Hello, why did God even put it in the Bible? Just to tease us? It was just for them? What, were they specialties? It was for all of us. Everything God says. Yeah, this this woman's mind is a steel trap. For a reason. The Hebrew letter six is the letter Vav, and it means this, a created a reality. Where- yeah, that's what Vav means, a created reality. Yeah. <laughs> right. Heaven touches earth to change it. In that scripture, he says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. What he was saying was, I have made you a created reality where heaven touches earth and you will change earth. That's who I am made to be. That's how amazing I am. I tell Roger when I don't cook or I can't cook, I'm amazing. You just do the cooking because I'll kill you. Heavens, we are heavens connecting power to earth. We are heavens connecting power to earth. Right, right, right. We're walking around with no supernatural. Yeah. Our churches should be breaking out in miracles. They, they should be. Why aren't they? I mean, it's, it's up to them to, you know, to break out in miracles. Yeah, shame on you if your church isn't breaking out in miracles. It's... It's all your fault that it's not. What is this woman talking about? In Jeremiah, it said, I have ordained you before you're in your mother's word. Yeah, that was Jeremiah that was ordained to be the prophet to Israel at the time. That's what God was referring to, not me. The word ordained in Hebrew means I have decreed it. Job says, when God, de- when you decree a thing, it will be established in the earth. When- oh, this is just painful. This is a litany of insanity. You left heaven. God said, I'm decreeing that you are heaven's change agent. Right. God's decreeing that I'm heaven's change agent. You know, I... I hate to say this, but I've literally like run out of patience with this nonsense. I I don't think it could get any better from here, and it's only been worse the entire time. I I just don't understand what it is that we're listening to, and so I'm thinking that maybe an appropriate way to end this uh, sermon review would be with a um, well with a soundbite from a movie. Yeah. See if you recognize this. Mr. Madison, 
what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that just about sums it up. I, you know, what do you do with total nonsense? I mean, clearly we're, Jesus has left the building and we're just left with the ravings of a madwoman. That's about all I can say. All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pyre Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.